This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man that knows that anyone with two ears and a heart loves Phil Collins. Here is the captain. Yeah, it's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Just like Noel Gallagher told his best friend, Phil Collins, about our show, and now he's our number one listener. This week, we are pumped up to be featuring Cats of War by the brilliant folks over at Homestead Beer Company. Cats of War is a double New England-style IPA. This is a juicy, soft, but still dank, hazy IPA, garage grade four and a quarter bottle caps out of five. And let's give some praise and thank you to our friends that helped us out with this week's show. First up, a big cheers to Wendy in Gig Harbor, Washington. And a big cheers to Lauren in Hudson, New Hampshire. And last but certainly not least, we have Tim Beauchamp and Parts Unknown. Everyone we just mentioned went to truecrimegarage.com and clicked on the donate button. And for that, we thank you. B-E-E-R-U-N, beer run. Yeah, and when you donate, make sure you put your location or we can't shout you out. You want to support the show? and get something in return and look fabulous doing so, go to truecrimegarage.com and get you some. And, Colonel, that's enough the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. Today's true crime story is a scary one. It's about a woman living alone, an intruder, a brutal murder, a horrific crime scene followed by strange events, confusion, and a botched investigation. Dorothea Lane Cutts II, a.k.a. Danita L. Cutts, was an aggressive businesswoman who had worked her way up in the real estate world. She was a friendly, vivacious, and outgoing single 38-year-old who had lots of friends. But sometime between 12.30 a.m. and 5 a.m. on Saturday, July 29, 1978, someone entered Cutts' lavishly restored 19th century home at 125 Wolf Street in Old Town Alexandria, Virginia, and killed her. And it looks like that same someone has managed to get away with murder for 44 years now. This is True Crime Garage.
At 5.30 a.m. on Saturday, July 29th, 1978, the Alexandria Fire Department responded to a fire at 125 Wolf Street in Old Town, Alexandria, Virginia. The firefighters fought bravely to put out the fires. This is a single family home that they're responding to. There's an upstairs, there's a ground level, and there's also a basement. And the place was well ablaze by the time that they arrived on the scene. They're responding to this fire based off of phone calls they're receiving from neighbors having witnessed smoke coming from this home. After they put out the fire, they're in the process of combing through the scene, trying to figure out what caused the fire, trying to clean up this residence. About an hour after the fire is put out, they come to a very grisly discovery. And that is the body of a woman that was recovered from the basement level of the home. Well, this fire is going to be ruled an arson. So this female that they find in the basement is now going to be ruled a victim. It would take a little bit of time, Captain, but authorities do identify the remains of this person to be that of Dorothea Lane Cuts II, also known as Danita L. Cuts. She is the homeowner. She's 38 years old and she lives there by herself. Now, a little bit of background on our victim. You know, first I have to point out that the captain and I, we are like Lord. We'll never be royals. But when you hear Danita Cutts' background, she almost sounds like she is royalty. Tell me more, kind sir. So Danita Cutts, or Dorothea, was born in Charleston, South Carolina in 1940. She grew up on her parents' 200-acre estate. Wow. And these are people that are rich enough that they name their property, name their homes. Uh, She was brought up much like her mother. Her mother is Doria Lane Cutts, first attending boarding school in Baltimore, and then Briarcliff Junior College in New York, and then college in Switzerland, the University of Geneva. So she went to some pretty impressive schools. Now, Danita's father... Richard Malcolm Cutts died in 1973. Remember, our case is taking place in 1978, about five years later. He was a brigadier general in the Marines and had served as an aide to President Franklin D. Roosevelt. And he and his father are credited with inventing an anti-recoil device for firearms. So this is a long history of some very important and impressive people. She goes by Danita. That's a name that she went by since she was a child. Yeah, that's to distinguish herself from her mother, who had a very similar first name. Now, she grew up loving antiques, and in fact, Danita actually owned an antique or two antique stores at one point in her life. But in the 60s, in the 1960s, she moved to Alexandria, Virginia, to become a real estate agent. This in 1968, where she was rather successful as a real estate agent, but also keep in mind, she does come from money. So at the time of her death, she had actually been a little bit removed from the agency that she worked for. She was moving on to maintain properties of her own. She owned several properties, rental properties, rehab type properties that she was in the process of being her own businesswoman. So she had moved on to greener pastures at this time. Now, it seems like we say this a lot with the cases that we cover, but there are some definitely weird things about this case, so pay attention. You're exactly right, Captain. It seems like all of these homicide cases, especially the cold case ones, that there are some strange details in these cases. Now, one detail that I find to be rather weird is Danita had been out of town leading up to her murder. So she recently come back into town, right? She goes out to dinner with some friends. 
She's having a good time. She comes home a little after midnight. And then what we know is the fire department is responding to a fire at 5.30 a.m. And after they clear the fire, they find her dead in the basement. It's believed that the home was on fire for a minimum of 30 minutes before it was noticed and before firefighters arrived. We do not have an exact report based off of their arson investigation to tell us exactly when they believe the fire was started. But through the reports that have been released, we know that they believe that at minimum that fire had been burning for 30 minutes. So she is home less than six hours before she is killed and her home is set on fire. Now, I'm assuming that she was actually killed in the house and then the house was set on fire to cover up the murder. That likely seems to be the situation here, Captain. And we're going to go through some of the old articles out of 1978 that are about this crime. And I will summarize all of these so we don't have to go through every word. But the first one that I want to go through is from July 31st, 1978, and it's titled Death in Old Town. And this comes from the Washington Post. And I'm going to scan past the stuff that we've already covered. But it says between sometime between 1230 a.m. and 5 a.m. on Saturday, someone entered her home and this is based and killed her based off of what police sources are telling the Washington Post. Police go on to say that Cutts' body, she was found bound and gagged and found by firemen. The body had been stuffed behind a basement furnace and was lying in a puddle of blood. It was almost an hour after they arrived on the scene. Again, that was at 5.30 a.m. that the firemen found the body, this while trying to clear smoke out of the basement. The medical examiner's autopsy report was scheduled to be released on this day. So what we can see here is immediately this is big time news. This is an affluent area of Virginia. This is a place where these types of crimes, these types of murders do not traditionally occur. So now everybody in this area is going to be on edge. And this, the author of this article, John Feinstein, he goes on to say that police remain baffled by the apparent murder arson and says the quote that he gets from the detective is for all intents and purposes, we're right on square one. They go on to say, this is one of those kind of weird old timey things that you, you, you question when you hear this, the detective stating this to the newspaper, mm-hmm. a detective, John Turner said, it's hard to make much progress on a weekend. What? Well, that doesn't make you feel very good, does it? Yeah. Well, we just don't we just don't like to work that hard on the weekend. It would be nice too if all murderers could take the weekend off as well because Please. apparently yes. the police might not be working in exact ex- <laughs> apparently the police might not be working in Alexandria, Virginia on the weekend. So Cuts is found bound and gagged and then it seems like the the murderer moved her body behind the furnace. Yeah, she may have been. So this is where the reports get a little weird. And we've seen this in plenty of other cases where the longer that a case is out there, some more information kind of trickles out, kind of seeps out, and you get a little more details. And then you have to sit back and look at them and go, all right, well, both of these can't be right. So which is correct? Yeah, it gets a little wonky donkey. The wording here says in this article says, the body had been stuffed behind a basement furnace and was lying in a puddle of blood. To me, that implies that it was moved. Very possibly moved. There are some other reports that later come out that say that they believe maybe that when the killer left the premises that she actually wasn't dead and she had tried to move herself, that she was trying to possibly get get out of this basement but was very badly injured from the attack. Right. Now, one problem that police are going to have early on in this investigation is that they were trying to contact all of Danita Cutts' close friends, and they said that a lot of the people they were trying to speak with, 
Some of them were out of town. You know, we know that Cuts didn't grow up in this area, that she had moved here for professional and other reasons later in her adult life. Um, one person that they do state in the newspaper that they are particularly interested in speaking with was a former boyfriend. And the detective goes on to say that they would like to question this man to get more details about a civil suit that Danita Cuts filed against him in 1976. So two years prior to the murder. And this, I guess this suit took place, this lawsuit took place shortly after Danita broke off the relationship. Again, according to this article, we don't know the details of that relationship. They also do not name the boyfriend in this article. There is another article out there that says something else that makes me wonder, are they even talking about the same man or potentially a different man where this other article states that she had broke up with a boyfriend shortly before she was killed. Again, without them naming either boyfriend or naming the boyfriend, right. we cannot determine if, in fact, this is the same person. We do know, based off of all of the witnesses and all of the people that knew her, that she had an extensive social life and that she had a lot of friends. So it wouldn't be surprising to any of us that she had broke off this relationship or for whatever reason this relationship two years prior had dissolved and now she had had went on to another relationship that had also not worked out. What we do know is that she was traveling leading up to the time of her death. She had just arrived back in town on that Friday. Remember, we know that she made it home that night and she came home shortly after midnight that night. That's why her body was found on Saturday. That's why we know she was killed on Saturday. But when we say she was killed on Saturday and she arrived back into town on Friday, keep in mind, we're not even talking about an actual 24-hour window of time there. She arrives back in town Friday afternoon, maybe early evening. We don't have that exact hour. Right. But she's killed. She could have been killed very shortly after midnight or attacked very shortly after midnight. We don't know how long her attacker was in that home. We do not know how they gained access to the home. We don't know how long there was between the attack and when the, when the fire was set. We do know that at very minimum, at the very minimum, we have reason to believe that that fire burned for at least 30 minutes before firefighters were on scene. And what a crazy scene that that must have been. But we do have some eyewitnesses of the crime scene. Well, these are more people that knew of Danita. and But this gives us a little ability to flesh out the situation a little bit more here, right? So we have a, a friend, a former co-worker of hers. Her name is Mary, who said that the whole thing didn't make sense to her. It didn't make any sense to her because she went on to say that Danita was very strong. She was aggressive. She was in very good shape. She jogged all of the time. What didn't make sense to her friend Mary is that she couldn't believe that Danita wouldn't have put up a fight or scream or something. Those are her exact words. She goes on to say, it just wasn't like her to be docile. I don't understand it. This is interesting to me here because given the area and taking a look at Old Town, the fact of her friends saying, I just don't understand why she didn't put up a fight or scream or something. What we don't have is any ear witnesses saying that they had heard some kind of scuffle or some kind of fight or a woman screaming. We don't have any of that. Well, and maybe because it happened in the basement, the attack could have happened there and be harder to hear, obviously. What I, what I think that we might be looking at here is a situation where either A, she was attacked and incapacitated, and when she came to or was able to be in a, in a state that she could potentially put up a fight or scream or something, that she may have already been bound and gagged by that time. Right. Or 
the assailant was able to control her up to the point of tying her up and gagging her. And it makes you wonder too, because you were saying that she was out of town before all this happened. Like maybe somebody knew that she was out of town and maybe they knew that she came from money and, and that they were in the, in the house, maybe trying to rob it when she came home. That's a very good point here. And you could have a situation where, yes, this was a planned robbery, a planned burglary, we should say, and that the person was unaware that she would be returning that night because we already stated she came from money. She lived in an affluent area. Not only that, this woman once owned two antique stores. Antique store owners are antique collectors by nature. Her home was filled with valuable antiques. Yeah, one man's junk is another man's treasure. There was another friend, and this is a man that said that told police that the two of them were planning to go out early that Saturday morning to look at some property in Alexandria that Danita was thinking of purchasing. Remember, she was in the real estate game as a worker bee, so to speak, for quite some time. And now she's using her real estate investments so that she doesn't have to work for someone else. And this person, her friend, tells police that they were supposed to be leaving together that morning at 7 a.m. Remember, Danita Cutts' body was located, discovered inside that burning home at about 6.15 a.m. to 6.30 a.m. at the very latest. So there might be some strange and weird things in this case, but one thing that's not that confusing here is the timeline. Yes, we have a very brief window of time to work with. The The confusing thing seems to me what went down in that window of time, right? So the general timeline is this. We know that she returned from her vacation Friday evening. I don't know how long she was on this vacation, but the key is she returns that Friday evening. We know that after returning home, she goes to dinner with friends. We know that she returns to her home at about 12.15 to 12.30 a.m., depending on which news article you read. The autopsy shows that Miss Cuts died shortly before 5 a.m. Just after 5 a.m., neighbors smelled smoke coming from the house called the fire department and the fire department is on the scene and actively putting out the fire by 5 30 a.m one thing that's very odd and strange to me in this case here captain is that we have a situation where somebody went to the trouble to set multiple fires inside of this home and jammed the door to the basement almost sealing Danita cuts his face Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, 
Thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Again, thank you for joining us here in the garage. Cheers to you all. And let's put on our our diapers because it's going to get weird in here. That's right. Tall cans in the air to everybody out there in listener land, especially the people in the back. Yeah. There are two really great articles that come out after the fact, right? We were talking earlier about articles that came out shortly after the murder, shortly after the arson. The next article that I want to hone in on comes out in November of the same year, of 1978. And again, I'll read my summarized version of this article, and it reads, The principal homicide detective assigned to investigate the murder of Alexandria 
socialite Danita Cutts quit the force two weeks ago. So this article comes out late November. Danita was killed late July of the same year. This article is about four months later, and it's telling us that the lead investigator, the detective assigned to investigate this homicide, quit the force two weeks prior to the release of this article. Mm. And the detective says that he quit the force because he was angered over the police force's handling of a suspect in this unsolved case. So Joseph Seuss is the detective that we're talking about. And at the time he was a nine year veteran of the local police force. Right. So it's not his first rodeo. Exactly. And he said that the Danita cuts case was quote, the final straw in the department's series of recent failures to quote, live up to the high standards needed in police work. Seuss, who has since joined the Alexandra city sheriff's office. So he didn't leave the biz entirely, right? He quit the police force be over this matter. And it sounds like there was a lot of concerns he had leading up to this unsolved homicide of Miss cuts, but it was the final straw for him to quit that force and take a job with the sheriff's office. But this isn't as strange as if he just resigned from law enforcement period. Correct. He, he clearly has an issue with that department, with the department that he worked for worked with for nine straight years. So his resignation was effective the mid part of November. And he says was the latest in a series of incidents that indicate growing morale and discipline problems within the 228 member police force, 220 members of the police force. And yet you have another detective telling us, you know, it's difficult to solve these weekend homicides. <laughs> the murder of Danita cuts again, 38 at the time was found beaten, gagged and bound July 29th in the burned out basement of her Wolf street townhouse. This has remained a mystery to her friends and neighbors in the affluent old town section. The detective goes on to say, I personally have never been involved in a case that was so poorly controlled. According to the detective, the only worthwhile suspect in the case was allowed to be questioned by half a dozen detectives who showed the suspect photos of the crime scene later, according to no, no. Yes. Later, according to this detective, the suspect made statements about the murder to detectives, but the detective Seuss, he says he was unable to determine whether these statements were the result of reviewing the photographs or whether the suspect was really the murderer. A point that detective Seuss said would be crucial in determining whether or not to charge that particular suspect. The detective goes on to tell us, I hope these diapers are on. <laughs> Sorry, that's that's not what he told us. That's that, oh, he, that was what uh, the captain told us at the top of okay. uh, I was going to say that's that's weird that he brought up diapers. I brought up diapers. So the detective goes on to tell us mm. he, meaning the suspect, mentioned some things like a house being on fire, a woman in a basement, and a door being blocked. At the same time, he denied that he had murdered anyone. He rambled on about visions, the devil, and about being a prophet. So you can see why it would be very difficult to tell whether this particular individual is reciting for you things that he learned about the crime from the other detectives, things that he learned about the crime from seeing photographs of the crime scene, or if he's telling you about something he actually participated in or was responsible for. Well, and somebody talking like this, you know, you go to mental illness and you start thinking, well, maybe this guy is schizophrenic and and then he doesn't even know that he he he's not classifying what he did as murder. He burnt down the building or the building got burnt down somehow, but because he bound and gagged her, she wasn't able to get free. So she is a victim. He murdered her. But see how somebody, I could see how somebody that was not mentally stable could not 
see it in those terms. Yes, and this suspect is troubling for many reasons. Yeah, you think? The other part of this, too, that's incredibly concerning is the detective's handling of this suspect, who seems rather fragile to begin with, if you're asking me, based off of those very brief statements here. Now, just like the boyfriend or boyfriend's This suspect is never named in any of these articles, but a little more background on this guy. We learned that this suspect was arrested two days after the cuts murder. This when the suspect was found hiding under bushes outside an old town residence. So he's in the same neighborhood two days later, hiding in the bushes outside of a home. He was picked up. He was charged with attempted burglary and then released the next day. The police arrested this suspect several days later, according to the detective, when a butcher knife and a pocket watch found in his possession were identified as items taken in another Old Town home burglary. Yeah, and see, again, you wonder, this guy doesn't seem mentally stable. He gets into this area. He starts breaking into his houses. Well, he broke into a house that the owner wasn't there so that he could just spend time there. He could squat there. He could have been squatting there for days. He took what we do have is in both of these incidents, he was picked up outside of a home where it's believed that he was attempting to burglarize that home. And then later he's picked up again after being in possession of items that were taking taken in a previous burglary from that same neighborhood right so he does make for a really good suspect even though he doesn't seem to be all there and your detectives may have screwed up some of the questioning process the the control process that you want when speaking with these individuals and trying to get their statements and collect evidence he's hiding in the bushes i mean this guy has to go to the top of the suspect list. And we know that he was previously in somebody else's home illegally. And we know for a fact that whoever killed Danita Cuts, we don't know why they were there or for what purpose that they were there, but we do know that they committed the murder in the attack inside the home. Now, well, when this guy was charged with burglary, he was held in jail and then was sent to a state mental institution, this in Marion, Virginia, where, and you're exactly right here, Captain, based on you know, your earlier statement, this man was diagnosed as schizophrenic uh, after he was arrested for this the burglary charge. He was later released, this about two weeks, sorry, he was later released. I don't have the exact date of when he was released, but we know that he was released sometime in November of that same year. So he could have been locked up or in jail for several weeks, if not several months before they let him go. He was freed on his own personal recognizances. The possible suspect, this is the information we do have, is a 30-year-old Alexandria man, according to his attorney, receives a monthly army pension for mental disability. So what you're telling me is that this guy is a suspect, a good suspect. We would both agree. We're having a lot of agreements lately. We're going to have to, that's not good for ratings. Turn up the heat a little bit in the garage, get a little angry. But you're telling me that, so they, they get him to a mental hospital. He gets better. He gets let out because he's, now mentally stable, but law enforcement is going to make this statement about him. Give me that statement. So this comes from the assistant Commonwealth's attorney. His name is Richard Mendelson. Mm-hmm. And his quote is, I would say that the man is one of the most dangerous suspects. The sheriff has had in custody for a long, long time. What? I'm shocked that he- what? He goes on to say, I'm shocked that the man is free. Wow. Well, let's take this for what it is. 
right? Like it, it would be interesting to. That's a powerful statement. It's though. a very powerful statement. It would be interesting to interview Richard Mendelson to find out exactly what he meant by that statement. And, and I know there's people out there, they're shaking their heads. They're going, come on, Colonel. Seems pretty clear to me what he's saying. What I'm pointing out is to what degree of truth is this statement based off of the idea that he committed this Danita Cutts murder, Right. Is Mendelssohn only saying this because he's convinced that this man killed this woman when this right. man obviously was never charged with it? He was never prosecuted for it. We still don't know 44 years later who killed this woman. There's a chance that he did not do it. Is he simply basing basing this statement off of the idea that he did kill Danita Cutts? Right. You see what I mean? So it could be it's a bold statement. It's very bold. That's a bold statement, Cotton. It's <laughs> but it could be a flawed statement if it's based off of of things that are not fact yet. They're not true yet. So let's let's go on to to examine this statement a little bit longer. Well, you also wonder, and and I know I don't think this is what he's implying, but it's like you also wonder what what is this guy's military background. Right. You know, but but he says the word dangerous, right? Well, and we know that he's receiving a check from the military for mental disability. So we, we also don't know the full extent of his mental disability. Yeah. Right. He could simply be pointing out, like, even if he wasn't involved in the Cuts murder. This guy. This guy's scary. Right. Based off of, like you said, it could be a combination of his military background and what the military says about this guy's mental disability. Mm-hmm. Is is he is he prone to just attack people willy nilly for no reason at all? Well, and it's like I have guys that I'm friends with that were like ex Marines. Those guys are they're deadly guys. They could be deadly, right? But I don't consider them dangerous. They're in control of their actions, right? But they could be dangerous if they wanted to be. They wake up feeling dangerous. Is this guy beyond the capacity? of knowing who the enemy is, right? The military's trained to protect us and in some cases even kill or destroy the enemy. Mm-hmm. Is this guy so far gone that he is unable to figure out who the enemy is? Or is he so paranoid that he believes everybody to be the enemy? When here he is at home on our home turf and he's he's even in a, a very nice safe neighborhood at that Mm -hmm. the prosecutor goes on to say in this article that a medical report from the state mental institution revealed that the suspect was in fact fit to stand trial but only under the influence of tranquilizers then Mendelssohn went on to tell us that he argued at the bail hearing right this is when he's trying to tell the judge this dude's super dangerous don't grant him bail we can't let him out Right. He's telling the judge this guy is in his exact words are exceedingly dangerous. Don't let him out on bail. But the problem for that became what Mendelssohn would tell us. I couldn't tell the judge that he was a suspect in the Danita Cutts case. Right. He doesn't have evidence to to. Oh, well, he really? does have evidence. He I doesn't mean, have he, a- evidence to nail this guy. He mm-hmm. he's saying that in his own personal opinion and personal expert, professional expertise, he did not feel confident. It, while he felt confident telling the judge how dangerous this man was, mm-hmm. he did not have the evidence or the backing from the police department to tell the judge in good standing that this man is a suspect in a murder case. Well, and if it was a different time, they probably could have pulled some DNA off of off of her house, right? Mm-hmm. And, and at least showed that he was possibly, that'd, that'd give more of a, uh, a reason to say, well, we think he was at least attempted to get into her house if we can pull fingerprints or DNA off of like a door handle or something. But now, obviously it's... Not those times. A couple of more interesting parts to this article before we move on to the next one. A police captain goes on to back up 
the statement of the assistant Commonwealth attorney's statement by saying this is a police captain stating that they did not have enough evidence to charge this man with murder. He does say we are still interested in this man. We would certainly have to keep him in mind as a possible or as possibly involved. Now, he goes on to say that there were the the FBI was involved in putting together a psychological profile of Danita Cutts killer. Right. And he wouldn't go into the details of that psychological profile of the offender, but save you one. He did disclose that one result of that profile was the FBI telling the Alexandria police that in all probability, the killer was mentally ill. That according to the police captain. He's basically saying, you guys know who our number one suspect is. I Yeah, maybe. I, I don't know that that's, I wouldn't say that that's his exact words. I, I'm leaving it at exactly what he told us, that, mm. that his statement is, we are still interested in him. We would certainly have to keep him in mind as possibly involved. The FBI profile, they've told us that in all probability, the killer was mentally ill. Now, that statement is very interesting to me for a multitude of reasons. They are seeing something at the crime scene or in relation to the victim and how the victim was treated and how the victim was left that is indicating to these experts that we are dealing with a person who is mentally ill at the time of this attack and at the time of setting these fires. Right now, this article gives us a little more detail and that's only because it's released two years after the murder. And they, it talks about a police reconstruction of the crime. And it says that Danita cuts came in her front door alone shortly after midnight on Saturday, July 29th, 1978. She climbed the stairs to her second floor bedroom, turning on the lights as she went. She turned down her bed, took off her clothes, and dropped them on the seat of a rocking chair. She put on a nightgown and flicked on the television set, choosing Channel 5, which runs all-night movies on Saturdays. She then went to the bathroom to wash up. Shortly after this, an unknown person confronted Cuts in her house. Perhaps it was an intruder who had come through an unlocked bedroom window. Perhaps it was a prowler attracted by the lights that forced his way in. Perhaps it was a friend with a grudge that had let himself or herself in with a key. Those were the working theories two years into this investigation. And again, they go back to the fact that six hours after Danita Cutts returned to her home, she was dead. Remember, her body was found in the cellar. Right. The extra details we get here, it's interesting of the reconstruction. So the the upstairs portion of this home must have been left in a way or not as damaged as some of the other portions of the home that they were able to make out these details that that she likely did this in this order and then the attack occurred. Later, we learn that of some of the injuries suffered by our victim, the autopsy determined that she had been struck on the head and that she died from asphyxiation. This caused by the smoke from the fire. Now, we should say fires Mm -hmm. because this article gives us the detail that there were seven fires set inside the home. Yeah, that sounds like a madman. So somebody looking to either completely destroy the scene or at least cover his tracks didn't set one fire, didn't set two. In fact, there were some early articles that hinted at the possibility of three fires. This article that gives us the most details states that there had been seven fires set inside that home. Well, and at this time of this article, two years later, We have police, firemen, authorities telling us the same thing that you just stated there, right? At this point in the, in the case, 
they've not arrested anybody. They've not charged anybody with her murder. And they're saying, you know, one reason that the police have had difficulty developing a lead in this case is that firemen were fighting seven blazes in the house may have inadvertently obliterated critical evidence. And I think that's probably highly likely in this situation. Yeah, it definitely happened. Now, beyond the strange fact of setting seven different fires, this is a little bit weird too. So they say that when Cutts's body was found, she was lying face down in a four foot wide crawl space, 10 feet from a basement window. She had been bound hand and foot with quote, everything in the house end quote. This is coming from our detective who quit the force to join the sheriff's office. So I feel like, do you feel like that gives him a little more street cred than, yeah, than some of these other statements? He's a little more gangster. A little more gangster. Uh, according to Detective Seuss, he says that she was bound with everything in the house, and he goes on to elaborate on that statement saying, sweaters, slacks, masking tape, electric cord, even a pair of socks. So you have somebody who sets seven fires. You have somebody that seems to be tying her up with everything that they can get their hands on inside of the house. He goes on to tell us that the killer apparently hit cuts on the head with an antique lamp. And this is based off of police finding a shattered base in the house and then left her for dead in a cedar closet with the door barricaded in the basement. This guy's an absolute animal. The detective goes on to say that Cuts somehow got one foot free and probably made her way up the basement stairs only to find the door to the main part of the house barricaded. In the gathering smoke, she must have thought of a little window at the end of the crawl space as her last chance. She was pretty resourceful, the detective says. And he goes on to say she damn near made it. So he's seeing stuff at the crime scene that indicates that she clearly was not dead by the time that the killer left the premises. Right. And we know that she died from smoke inhalation, but he jammed the killer jammed the door shut. And even when she managed to wiggle free from all of her restraints, again, she's tied up with quote, everything in the house according to the detective she finds the door jammed up and then tries to make her way to the window and unfortunately she was unsuccessful now the police do do go on to tell us that they never found anything missing from the house and more than one hundred thousand dollars worth of jewelry remained hidden in a secret compartment beneath the main staircase no keys were unaccounted for and no windows were broken, according to the detective. Also, the victim was not sexually assaulted, according to the medical examiner's report. Like what you're talking about with the suspect, he's stating, you know, there's this fire and, you know, he's basically stating the whole crime scene in, in his ramblings before he gets his mental health checked. And it just seems like it just lines up perfectly with this crime. Police go on to tell us that they did find a jammed handgun at the house. And they say that they believe possibly the murderer used that to intimidate the victim. Maybe this is why she allowed herself to be bound to some extent. Or, again, I th- this broken base to the lamp you almost wonder if if he attacked her first, hitting her over the head with this lamp before he tied her up to begin with. Yeah, I almost lean towards that. Like there, she came home, there was an attack, and then because she was uh, incapacitated at the time, then he was able to bound her up. In 1980, an article came out that told us that there's not a lot of hope for solving this case and they point out that the Kurt cuts murder has never been solved even to this day forget about 1980 this even though the police department interviewed more people devoted more man hours ran more polygraph tests and spent more money 
for travel and expenses than in any other investigation in the city's history as of the time of this writing, which was 1980. They go on to tell us that the police do not expect to be able to solve the case. And in fact, they go on to cite that one of the complications is a lieutenant, Arthur Bratcher, who supervised this investigation and also supervised 14 other unsolved homicides in the area, was placed on inactive status. So you have one of the leads here who is not in good with his own agency and has been in charge of supervising and overseeing several homicide investigations, all that remained unsolved as of 1980. Can't imagine how frustrating this is, not just for the family, but for the community as well. And the thing that really intrigues me here, Captain, is I would love to get my hands and and view it with my own eyeballs. The FBI profile, the psychological profile that was put together on the likely offender of this murder. And I cannot get past these two very bizarre facts of this case of one, there were seven different fires set in this home and two, that the victim was bound hand and foot with quote, everything in the house, sweaters, slacks, masking tape, electric cord, and even a pair of socks. These are two things that are very different. These are outlier items. Very different from how many cases have we covered here in the garage? Billions. Hundreds. Billions. And I cannot think of a case that involved one or both of these situations. It's one of those cases that you would love to put in front of somebody like Dr. James A. Brussel or former FBI agent John Douglas and get their thoughts and opinions on this case. And obviously if we had the suspect's name, we could be able to go back and look at their criminal history or to go and see what they did because they were released. Did they commit other crimes or did this person get the, the, the medical treatment that they needed and they're fine now that they got medical treatment. Well, and something that you hit on earlier, Captain, is the community. You can't imagine the frustration from the family, but also you can't imagine the frustration from this community. You also can't imagine the fear, the fear of the people in the community, because we know that the newspapers and the reporters had a difficult time interviewing people for these articles that they wrote about the case over the years. And even years after the murder, there were still neighbors and people in that neighborhood that refused to speak to newspapers or to the media at the time for fear of retaliation from Danita Cutts' killer. Thank you so much for joining us here in the garage. Colonel, do we have any recommended reading for the beautiful listeners? Yes, we do, Captain. This week we are recommending Brainstorm, an investigation of the mysterious death of film star Natalie Wood by Sam Peroni. I'll tell you what, I wish this book was out back when we covered the Natalie Wood case because Sam Peroni did a brilliant job of putting this book together. He lays out the case, presents all the facts, a lot of new facts that he has uncovered, and he doesn't tell you what to think. He lets you decide for yourself what you think really happened after examining everything that he's put together. That's called Brainstorm, an investigation of the mysterious death of film star Natalie Wood by Sam Peroni. You can find that great title and many more on our website's recommended page at truecrimegarage.com. If you need more True Crime Garage for your earballs, check out our bonus show exclusively on Stitcher. It's called Off the Record. And until next week, be good, be kind, and don't litter.
This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.